Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. I, I want to try to wrap, out, wrap up this part of our Amida discussion uh, soon. I'm not going to do what I told Tal I would do, which was collect the various different uh, Amida Kedushas so we can look at them and compare them. We're going to come back to the Kedusha um, when we talk about the Amidah, and we can talk about it more then, but I feel like we're getting in the weeds a little too much, so I wanted to have an overview and then try to get out of the weeds, and I promise we'll come back to the Amidah when we talk about the, uh, I'll come back to the Kedusha when we talk about the Amidah. Okay, first of all, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Larry? When we left off last time, I had some questions <clears throat> about uh, the prayer itself. We had gotten onto a digression. Tell me what the question is, so, so I know where we're... So when it goes back to two, 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 two weeks ago, yeah. I listened to that I wasn't at. Uh-huh. So there was a long discussion about a vino volcano. Yeah, Okay. I don't remember that discussion, but I believe you. Go ahead. Oh, well, there was a long discussion, and you were saying that the image of a Vino Malkino was not an image that moderns, uh, the Malkino image was not an image that moderns could could accept very easily. And then you even said maybe people in England could because they can relate to a, uh-huh. you know, to a modern. And I just wanted to comment about that one, that... I personally have always found the Avino Malkino image um, very powerful and in some sense comforting and something I relate to. And I've never really taken it um, literally. I always took it quite figuratively. And so I thought that uh, I, it never occurred to me that people wouldn't find that, would find that um, uh, off-putting at all. Okay. I, 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 one thing I will say is if it hasn't occurred to you that it's off-putting, it means you haven't discussed it with a lot of modern Jews who are not who are not raised in the Orthodox tradition. I just want to tell you, lots of people find it off-putting. So I'm not saying I do or don't, but I'm just reporting to you what they tell me, Larry. Okay. I'm sure you're correct, and I just it seemed to me I'm only inferring from my own feelings, but also from the way in which I see people responding to the Avino Malkino prayer. Got it. The second point was just... People, sorry, wait, people who come to the minion that you choose to come to. My point just being, that's a, that's a selected population. Not the people... For example, yeah. when people are, that's where you mainly see people uh, uh, doing the Avino Malkino prayer. Just my observation, maybe I'm wrong, is that people seem to get into it. Okay, go ahead. Uh, the second point was you had a long discussion about how the sages put in this... Um, this um, Kedusha. Right, the Kedusha and all that. I found it very interesting. And I'm wondering, is it possible that it actually was inserted... And that there was a, that we actually jumped to the El Baruch de Motutenu. Is it possible that prayer actually stood alone by itself before the insertion of Kedusha? Which prayer? At the end of this prayer, yeah. which starts with the prayer of El Baruch de 
Got it. Thank you. Okay. Well, what I'll do, I think I'll try to do this for next week. I will bring you in probably the earliest, shortest form of this whole bracha. And that may partially answer your question. So the short answer is yes. Well, it's unclear if it's before or not. You know, the early Gaonim say, some of them say, if you're say if you're praying this alone, not in a tzibur, you don't say the um, kedusha. That's not our halachic opinion. That's not how we do it. But there is early gaonic opinion. If you are praying alone, you don't say the kedusha, and they have a very short formulation of this bracha, which I'll may, I'll try to bring you in the next week or two. The Avinu Malkinu discussion. I don't think I want to come. I appreciate your your. Point. I don't think I want to come back to it now. It has to do with images of God, and I think it's going to take us off topic for today, but I promise we'll come back to it at some point in the future because inevitably we always have to come back to it because basically it's the question of when we talk about, when we pray to God, how do we use different epithets of God and how do those epithets or names or labels speak to us or not speak to us, or speak to different aspects of our understanding about God. So we'll come back to that another time, I think. Um, so um, three short-ish, three independent things I want to say about the Amidah. Um, one is the major difference between this, uh, sorry, not the Amidah, the Kedusha, the first is the major difference between this Kedusha called Kedusha de Miyushav, the seated Kedusha. Pardon? Okay. That's okay. Terry? Yeah, you got to mute. Terry's got to mute. Okay. Um, so, first of all, the major difference between uh, this Kedusha that we've been talking about, Kedusha de Miyushav, the seated Kedusha, also called Kedusha de Yotzer. Kedusha of the Yotzer blessing. Major between this Kedusha and the Kedusha, I'll put it in quotes, in the Amidah. And this is why we stand during the Amidah with our feet together, right? And we don't stand now, is the framing of it. In the Kedusha of the Amidah, we say, we are going to say these Kedusha verses just like the angels do. In other words, we are imitating the angels. We are enacting what the angels do, okay? In our Kedusha, which we're studying now, Kedusha Demiyushav, we are not enacting what the angels do. We are not saying we are like the angels. What's the framing of it? Question for the audience. It's not we are doing it like they do it, but rather, anyone? Yeah, we're just saying that they do this, right? We're saying angels do this thing. Kedusha of the Amida, we say, We're going to do Kedusha in this world. Like they do it in that world. So we are imitating the angels. We're saying we're going to imitate the angels and do Kedusha. In our Kedusha, seated Kedusha, we don't do that. We just say, you know... We wake up, here's the chain of associations. The sun makes us think of the heavenly bodies 
God is creator of everything. God has this array of servants up there, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And you know what they do? They hang around and praise God, saying kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. The whole thing is basically telling a story of what they do. It's not, we. the framing of it is not, so therefore we are going to reenact that here. It's all third person. By the way, and that is why you don't stand for this Kedusha, right? The, you stand for the, the Kedusha and the Amida because we are imitating the angels. The angels, mythically speaking, have a straight foot, according to some Midrash, and that's why we stand with our feet together. We don't walk around feet together because we're like an angel, okay? So we're enacting what the angels do. So a lot of people have a misconception about this. They say, oh, why don't we stand up during the Kedusha of the Yotzer? That is totally incorrect. We don't stand up in the Kedusha of the Yotzer because we're not imitating the angels. We're just saying, while we're talking about the sun, which makes us think of the sun, moon, and the stars, the heavenly bodies, which are imagined as God's servants, angels, hi Alba, or whatever you want to talk about it, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, We're going to tell you what these angels say. Okay? That's why we don't stand. So that's point number one. I'll pause. Is there any question or comment about that? Jonathan, you you waved a hand. So whoever translated it into English says, as in the prophet's vision, that sort of implies a little bit that... No, I'm just quoting the prophet's vision. I'm quoting it. I got, I got you. Right. But as in the prophet's vision, soaring celestial creatures exclaim. That's a third person. It does not say, as in the prophet's vision, we say, or something like, soaring celestial creatures exclaim, and we say, Baruch Kamo. It's all third person. I, we're reporting what they do in heaven. We're just telling what they do up there. We're saying, God, you created the universe. The sun reminds us of that. The sun reminds us of the whole array of the heavenly bodies who are your servants up above. By the way, there's nothing here again, nothing here in this blessing, I think, um, that says, and therefore we are your servants here below. Okay? It's all a contemplation of out there and up there. So we're contemplating, if we, if we want to say this about God as creator, we're contemplating God as creator by talking about what we see or what we know, the sun, the angels, but um, none of it says what we do. Now that I said that, I'm sure someone will find one word somewhere that says we, okay? But I don't think so in general. All right, that's point number one. The main, then that's really important. That's the major difference. I'm taught, I'm going to say in terms of the structural framing from Kedusha de Miyushav from Kedusha Damida. Okay. Which is why it is Miyushav, why we are seated. All right. Uh, second point is the, and we sort of touched on this a little bit, and it's kind of a literary point. And that is, although God's array, the hosts of heaven, are imagined as servants, as armies. They're also praising. That's the main thing they do in the Amidah. And so they're sort of envisioned as a chorus, a chorus, okay? Sometimes we even say a chorus, yachad, 
together. And so one choral-like aspect of them is there is a quasi-musical character to various parts of the framing of the Amidah. I want, I want to call it quasi-musical because we wouldn't call it musical. We would call it poetic, I think, in our common English. But it's a poetic that's meant to be sort of musical. So we had a few examples of that. Let's look at the first big paragraph, which ended, Rachem aleinu adon uzenu tzur miskavenu magen yishenu miskav ba'adenu. We had five rhyming pairs of words that all end in enu. We commented on that, right? That it sort of sounded like a rhyme. And then after that, we have El Baruch Gedol Dei Hechinu Fa'al Zorei Chama Tov Yatsar Kavod Lishmo Morot Natan Svivot Uzo Right? So it's a poem. It's an alphabetical acrostic. It's a poem that has four words per line and each, and each group of two lines rhyme with each other. Okay, everyone with me? So that's also kind of, again, in English, I think today we think of it as poetic, but I think it's meant to be kind of musical. Okay, so again, it evokes the idea, and Larry's waving, he's passing through, right? Um, it, it evokes the idea of, I think it's, I think it's meant to evoke the idea of God's heavenly choir. We're talking about God's heavenly choir, and we're talking about it in literarily choir-like format, quasi-musical, okay? Um, Jonathan, you, you're, you, you have to unmute. Unmute, Jonathan. What paragraph are you? What paragraph are you? Well, uh, which C-Door do you have? I don't know. I have this slim one, page 31. I'm on. Okay, so we're on page 30, Hamayir La'aretz, and then 30, El Baruch Gadol And now I'm coming to 31. If you look at the big first paragraph on 31 at the box, first paragraph on 31, the box, which is, okay. the box means where the Chazan picks up. Kulam Mahuvim, Kulam Burim, Kulam Giborim. And notice that's an Aleph Bet Gimel also, which makes us think, oh, was that the beginning of some acrostic that we only ended up with the last, um, uh, with the first three words of, and we lost the rest of it? Okay. And then we have, V'chulam osim be'ema uvira ritzon konam. V'chulam potchem epihem b'kdusha uvtahora b'shira uvzimra. It's rhyming. It's rhyming. Everyone with me? So we have this whole, uh, different kinds of rhymes, different kinds of rhythms, <coughs> but throughout this long bracha, we have various pieces of musicality. Um, middle of the last paragraph of the page, second line, third line, kihu Poel givurot dose harashot bal milchamot zoreat sedakot matzmiach yeshuot borei right you hear it two word couplets that are all rhyming that are all labels of what God does so throughout this bracha more so than by the way I'd say I would challenge you and I would win this challenge so don't bet money against me if I said to you. Let's compare it to the second bracha of the Shema, Ahavarabha, or the third bracha of the Shema, Emet Vyatsiv, before the Amida, right? 
This has far much poetic musicality to it than those brachot do. Everyone with me on that? Hold on a second, Larry. So I think this is meant to sort of imitate what we imagine the angels are like on high. They're a chorus, okay? And we have words like zimra. They sing, okay? So we imagine them as a chorus. They sing. Now, someday, to satisfy Tal, I will bring in uh, and Terry. This is outside Tal and Terry. Maybe other people. I don't know. I'll bring you some examples of texts of piyutim or poems that were written to surround the Kedusha, especially of the Amida, where we see much, much more of this. Long, long, long poems that are rhyming. Okay? And again, that are meant to evoke this idea that the creatures above, the heavenly creatures, they're like a choir praising God. So although we are not reenacting what they do in this Amida, we are talking about it is in, I'm going to say, choir-like literary terms. Okay, Larry, then Meyer. Then Michael. Very briefly, I agree with you completely. It's a beautiful poem. I love to say it in Hebrew. The English is terrible with one exception. And this Sidor does a wonderful job. It actually translates that mini, mini, mini acrostic you talked about. Yep. The Alvin Borurim. Yep. Um, Giborim. And it translates it as adoring, beloved, and choice. Good. No matter they are. Yes. So they actually maintain right. the acrostic. Right. The only good thing I'll say about the translation. Yeah. For Sidur translators, it's always a challenge of, am I just going to try to give the idea in English that makes sense to people? Or am I going to go the extra mile and attempt to reproduce some literary quality of the original? I'd like to point out going the extra mile is really, really hard, right? Because then like I've seen Asham news, right, that are ABC, but don't actually translate the Asham news. Right? So, okay, Meyer. I was just thinking about what a wonderful lead up this is toward the Shema, since basically you're emphasizing the oral quality of it. Yes. And, uh, and ultimately, you know, to lead to a moment in which we're supposed to be silent and listen. Okay, good. So there's the, and then the silence. Although, of course, the Shema isn't really silent, silent. It's really, um, you know, very said very softly. Yes, but it's a very different kind of thing. By the way, I want to point out, it doesn't mean, uh, what I said doesn't mean, the, the halacha does not say that when we daven this, you're supposed to say, Baal milchamot meaning you're not actually supposed to sing it. It's not actually a hymn. It's just little snatches of quasi-hymnal things. Michael. Yes, I wanted to say that the on the issue of uh, reenacting, it's analogous to when we do when we say the Shema in Birkot Hashachar. Yeah, we're, we're really saying that this is what we do twice a day, so we don't cover our eyes. Correct. Exactly. So there's something that me and and Michael's referring to uh, page. And seven in the slim at the bottom. It's saying, yeah, we're the people. Uh, by the way, 
Humans might be like animals. Life might be worthless. It's entirely possible. The only salvaging thought is we're part of the people that is loyal to you. And twice a day, we say Shema. Correct. We are reporting that we say Shema. We're not actually doing the mitzvah of saying the Shema. And that is why we do not cover our eyes. By the way, and in some versions, in, depending on the Sidur you look at, that early Shema of, 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 um, Sometimes you say, in some Sidurim, you say the Ve'ahavta paragraph, and in some Sidurim, you don't say the Ve'ahavta paragraph, right? So in some Sidurim, it's only Shema Yisrael, and others, it's Shema and Ve'ahavta, right? There's different minhagim about that. But we're not saying the Shema. We're just saying we are the people who say Shema. By the way, again, it's, it's very, um, I, I do want to acknowledge, even saying that is an indicator of our, of how bizarre halachic reasoning can make us think and sound when I say, we're not saying the Shema, we're only saying that we say the Shema, all right? So to, to someone who's outside of a concept of halacha and mitzvot, that sounds kind of silly, right? We're not saying the Shema, we're just telling you a line that we say when we say the Shema. That line is the Shema. But we're not saying it, I'm not saying it. Okay, so that is correct. So analogously to that, we're not now, we're not doing the Amida in the Kedusha, we're going to do, sorry, we're not doing the Kedusha, in the Amida we're going to do the Kedusha, okay? Now we're just saying that the angels do Kedusha. Tal, is that, uh, ta- if, I think Tali wanted to speak too. Yeah, Tal. If, if we have um, the theme of angels singing, but we're quoting prophets, why aren't we then, A, talking about Zachariah, because he was the prophet that really kind of themed on the angels. But also then, why aren't we talking about um, something like um, uh, uh, the prayer from Friday night about uh, Shalom Aleichem, which is literally saying, you know, Malachi Hasharet, okay. uh, talking about Got it. singing. And- so, my, so my answer to question number two is, because that's not in the Torah. Those aren't prophets. Right. So we're quoting the prophets who had. And my answer to question number one is because those are the two prophets. Again, this takes us back to um, Tal. I just want to ask you, were you did you were you here or did you listen to the class on the whole mystical thing from about three weeks ago? You should listen to it. It's online. It's worth listening to just because it's all about the 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 mystics in late antiquity and rabbinic times who their bread and butter was meditating and having mystical experiences and how we think the sages tried to take a snippet of their mystical experience, drop it into the daily sidur. So with the, our, the hypothesis, the general scholarly hypothesis is so that people would not be tempted to actually go out and be mystics because that was seen as a risky thing. So we, we had a whole discussion about that. I just want to encourage you to go and, and listen to that class if you weren't there or if you um, um, don't remember it. And the point of that was that basically we know throughout Second Temple times and into Talmudic times, there were groups of Jews who, had, who wanted to have meditational, visionary experiences in imitation of the two prophets who say, I saw God on God's throne. Okay, and those two core prophets who are seen as the core visionary experience that those mystics were trying to imitate are Yeshayahu and Yechezkel. Isaiah says, 
I had a vision of God on the throne and the angel said, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. And Ezekiel says, I had a vision of God. That's in Isaiah chapter six. And Ezekiel in chapter one says, I had a vision of God on the throne and there were angels beating their wings. And I heard a loud noise that said, Baruch Kvod Hashem Im Kamo. So those are the two prophets who say, in my vision, I heard what the angels say up in heaven. Right? So there are lots of other prophets like Zechariah, who you cite, and other ones who had all kinds of visions. And sometimes they had visions of God, and sometimes they had visions of an angel. But these are, the, these are understood to be the two core prophets who had a vision of this is what the angels are doing in heaven. This is what it's like in God's heavenly throne room. And I, or we as mystics, want to try to get as close as we can to that experience. And they develop all sorts of meditational techniques to actually do that. But the core, I'm going to say the, the, the pearl and the oyster out of which they create that is Isaiah and Ezekiel, those two prophets. So that's my answer to question number one. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So Zachariah has visions. Other people has visions. Amos has a vision. But... Um, and Ezekiel has lots of other visions, okay? So lots of them have visions, right? But um, these are the two that have a vision of, I saw the throne room, I saw God on the throne, I heard the angels, and this is what they say. So this is see, taken as, this is the, the beings in the universe who are closest to God, are those angels, this is what they say. And we mystics want to try to evoke an experience that's as, as close as possible to be an imitation of that. And then the rabbis of the mainstream, the Talmud and the Sidur, dropped all of the meditational stuff and they just turned it into, and this is what the angels say. Okay. But if you go into a real davening shul, okay, a serious davening shul, and you look at people during the Kedusha of standing, that's as close as we come in mainstream Judaism to that mystical experience, right? If you see people, right, this tends to happen more in Orthodox shuls. I don't want to stereotype. It happens in some non-Orthodox shuls, somewhat. But if you see people standing during Kedusha with their taluses over their heads, saying, Kadosh, 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 with fervor, Okay, that's as, that's as close in a contemporary synagogue as you will come to, like, why the sages, why whoever wrote the Sidur put the Kedusha into the Amida. Everyone follow what I'm saying? Right? So you see people davening with fervor. It's, it's, I wouldn't call it a meditation because people who are serious meditators like Rabbi Ruthson might consider that an insult, but I would say it's as close as we get to meditational in our mainstream davening style, if that's a fair enough statement. Given that our mainstream davening generally isn't meditational, this is we, as close as we get, I think, to approximating what those mystics wanted to have as an experience. Okay, I'm going to take another two minutes just to drop something on you to think about. Then we'll come back to it next week if you want to. Third point I want to make about the Kedusha, and then next week I want to come back and come back to the blessing of the Yotzer and try to like finish it and pull it together because like we got to get out of the weeds here. Um, comes from a different, totally different place, the Kabbalah. Okay, forget everything I just said. 
totally unrelated thought, but a third point. All religions, I don't know about all religions, because what do I know about all religions? But people say all religions need to address the conceptual tension or contradiction or conundrum of how is it that God is both transcendent and imminent. Imminent is spelled I-M-M-A, not I-M-M-I. And those are fancy theological words for God is very big and out there. God made the universe. God made the Big Bang. God somehow decided that, as I read in the paper the other week, there was a slight preponderance of neutrinos more than anti-neutrinos, and that's why matter exists. Okay. As opposed to everything is just antimatter and it all collapsed into nothing. So on the one hand, God is very big and all out there. That's transcendent. That's a transcendent view of God. God is the God of the universe. But religion, but if that were it, then mo- many people would feel, would experience that God is cold, aloof, and remote. So we also talk about God as... We just lost you. You lost me? Did you lose me? Can you hear me? No, no we see you, hear you. Okay. Okay. All right, you hear me? Not if you hear me. Not if you can hear me. Okay. All right, so God is also imminent. That means close, which means if I'm sick and I pray... I hope that God hears me. When I add the names of uh, sick friends in the Rifaino in the morning, I hope that God hears my prayers and heals my friends. So that, that's, that's the God of the psalmist, the God who is very, very close, okay? How is it possible that God is the God of the universe and worried about neutrinos and anti-neutrinos, but that same deity might actually hear everyone's prayers, including my prayers, right? So all religious systems talk about God is both transcendent and imminent, or far away yet very close, or very universal and out there, but also very particular, okay? Everyone with me on that? So all religious systems have to kind of address that tension, and sometimes they talk about God is big, and sometimes they talk about God is small. The Kabbalah sees, or one Kabbalistic interpretation, okay, and Hasidic interpretation of the Kedusha is, it is, when I say the Kedusha, I mean the two core lines from the two big prophets, um, is that it is a way of addressing this tension. Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzvaot, Melochol Haaretz Kivodo is the transcendent God. God is everywhere in the universe. Okay? God, remember, Isaiah in chapter 6 sees the vision of God on the throne and God's, um, the hem of God's kingly robe fills the whole palace room. Okay? Yet the angels are there too. Somehow it's magical because it's dream logic. Okay? So God is universal. The sun, moon, the stars, the stars are very far away. They they praise God. Okay? God's out there in the stars. He's in the DNA. God is everywhere and everything. Okay? That's Melochol Ha'aretz Kvodo. The whole universe 
is filled with God. That's universal God or transcendent God. However, or in addition to that, Baruch Kivot Hashem Mimikomo, God's blessingness flows from its place. I'm going to add, a, I'm going to finish the thought, the Hasidic, Kabbalistic thought, parentheses, into everything. God, God's blessed, Baruch Kivot Hashem Mimikomo, God's infusion of blessing flows from that, its place into everywhere, including into prayers to heal the sick and hearing my particular concerns. Um, in Hasidut, by the way, in Kabbalah, these two aspects of God are called sovev and mimale. God surrounds everything and God fills everything. I always, and that's why our Friday night davening every other Friday night at Temple of Adam is called Shabbat Sovev. It's based on that idea. And I always forget about Sovev and Mimale surrounding and filling. I always forget which is transcendent and which is imminent. I always get them mixed up. Okay? Because I think I usually think Sovev is, is uh, transcendent and Mimale is imminent, but I might be actually the other way around. I always get them wrong. Anyway, so the Kedusha uh, is a way. So according to Kabbalistic and Hasidic thinking, the Kedusha is an, in, an encapsulation of this profound theological challenge that God is both milochol ha'aretz kevodo, the whole universe is God, is, or is filled with God, okay? Not is God, because that would be pantheism, or, but rather is filled with God, which is called panentheism. God is present in everything for the Kabbalah. God's energy flows through the entire universe, or God is the energy which flows through the entire universe, right? It's very out there, very big concept. But also, Baruch Kivod Hashem in Komo. Hashem's infusion and blessing flows out of all that into everything, Okay, so for Kabbalistic and Hasidic thinking, the Kedusha is a way of encapsulating this tension. By the way, and I would say the same thing, and we'll repeat the same thing when we get to the Shema and Baruch Vodshem Kvod Machutole Olam Vaed. It's the same thing. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad is big God, transcendent, is understood to be big transcendent God. All, everything in the universe, all the manifestations that we might call different gods are actually echad. It's a very big universalistic transcendent idea of God. But baruch shem kavod machuto lalam va'ed, again, baruch mean in the sense of flowing of blessing is into everything. So Hasidut and Kabbalah also understands these first two lines of the Shema to be expressing the same tension of transcendent and imminent. God is transcendent, yet God is imminent. So again, we have in this explanation a way to say in our daily Sidur, we are giving people grist for the mill to think about of profound theological thoughts. You don't have to go read, read Maimonides' Guide to the Complex, to a Guide to the for the perplexed to talk about ideas that are complex. 
Okay? You can wake up in the morning and in your daily davening contemplate some, uh, some profound theological ideas. God is universal, yet God is particular. God is God of the universe, yet God is the God that I pray to when I need something and I hope that God is listening and will respond to my prayer. How do we put those things together? Right? And the Siddur says, we put it together by just saying, God is this and God is that. Melochol arts kavodo, but also flowing into everything. Everyone follow me? So that is kind of, I think, the, the um, I, lo- I like that uh, Kabbalistic and Hasidic understanding of the Kedusha, okay? Because then we're not just talking about, oh, the angels, which again is hard for us to, you know, do this thing. By the way, when I say the Kedusha alone in my yard, I, I, and I hear the birds, I sort of think like, oh, if I were writing this today, as opposed to someone writing it 1,500 years ago, I don't think I'd be thinking about astral bodies. I think I would be thinking of the birds chirping. I'd be saying, the birds are chirping and praising God, and so we do that too. That, that's just me, you know? If, if I said to you, what's the thing that evo- that's out there in the world that evokes in you praise of God that would inspire you to praise God? You, you know, we'd all have our own answers. So for the mystics of long ago, it was the visions of Yeshayahu and Yirmiyahu. For me personally, it's when I hear the birds in my yard. By the way, I'm not the first person who's done that. There's, a, there's an old prayer called Perek Shira, which is an obscure thing, which is only found in Sidurim that have very small print and are 700 pages long. And it's from about the year 1000-ish or before. And it's about how each individual thing in nature praises God. The birds say this verse. The frogs say that verse. The monkey says that verse. The lion says that verse. And it quotes all these different verses from the Bible, some of which are explicitly about birds or, or trees. But other ones you'll say like, why did they say the monkey says that? The lion has nothing to do with monkey. Um, and. And it's basically what? Pardon? Will you share that with us, maybe? Yeah. By Rabbi Natan Slifkin, who is known as the Zoo Rabbi. He's that rabbi in Beit Shemesh who's a nature guy, and he gets his books banned by his fellow Haredi rabbis because he believes in things like dinosaur fossils rather than saying dinosaur fossils are... are um, are fabricated by God to test our faith, right? He says like, no, they were real dinosaurs and they existed before humans existed, right? So his books have been put in Cherem and he's had to reprint some of them. Anyway, so he has this, you know, with, uh, does that picture? Uh, unfortunately, it just has black and white pictures. It didn't, he didn't shell out money for, you know, color plates of all those things, which would have cost money. But he talks about, you know, the apple, what does it say? Right, the raven. What does it say? So that's a little prayer called Perek Shira, which is generally not recited as a day-to-day thing. I've never met any. Although it says, you know, it's good to say this every day, but but um, I've never met. I, I'll Terry. I'll find you a link to it. Um, all right. Last thing I'm going to say is because um, we have various things like what you say for people who don't believe in saying Kaddish in Corona site. Um, is I'm just going to say this one more time. If you will send me an email, abrahamhavivi at gmail.com, then I will put you on a list and I will periodically send out things like that. 
that are links to things that I think the Cedur class, people in the Cedur class would find it interesting. So you'll make my life simpler if you do that today, because then today I can make an email group and then forever after I will have that email group. Okay, abrahamhavivi at gmail.com. So if you want to from time to time get emails from me about here's a link to an interesting prayer thing, then please send me your email address, abrahamhavivi at gmail.com. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.